Balancing Point, Episode 5. Welcome to the Balancing Point Podcast, where we invite you to join us on a journey into the amazing world of professional ballet. Our guests will provide you with an inside peek into this exclusive world while offering motivation and inspiration on how to not only succeed in dance, but also in life. And now, your host, Kimberly Falker. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of the Balancing Point Podcast. Before we get started, I would like to remind you all to stop by our website, where you will find photos, videos, and added information about each of our guests. And while you are there, please subscribe to our emails, so you can receive weekly information on our upcoming guests. We would also love for any of you who are dancers to email us your questions. We always feature two to three questions from aspiring dancers, so if you'd like to be featured, send us your questions. Once you're on our email list, you'll have information on the advanced lineup of the interviews, so you could possibly have the opportunity to ask your favorite dancer questions. So let's get started. Today I'm interviewing Megan Fairchild, who is a principal dancer with the New York City Ballet. From the audience, her graceful lines and notable presence do not give away that she's a petite five foot three dancer. Her graceful footwork is described by the New York Times as precise and fast to the point of being magical. She seemingly catapulted through the ranks into the role of principal dancer with one of the most prestigious companies in the world in just a few short years. Despite her star appeal, Megan is humble and appreciative of her life and those who have helped her along the way. Her approachable manner is appreciated by every aspiring ballerina who dreams of one day being her. Megan thoughtfully shares her story with us, openly and honestly. We learn of her triumphs along her journey from the studio to the stage. She also shares with us her very real and challenging moments as a dancer. Megan began her dance training at the age of four in Salt Lake City, Utah. At the age of 16, she moved to Manhattan to study at the School of American Ballet, or SAB, in the fall of 2000. Her rise to principal dancer has been notably fast. She became an apprentice with New York City Ballet in November of 2001. In October of 2002, she joined the New York City Ballet Company as a member of the Corps de Ballet. Two years later, Ms. Fairchild was promoted to the rank of soloist in February of 2004, and at the age of 20, she was promoted to principal dancer of the New York City Ballet, where she remains dancing today. Well, let's just go ahead and jump into the questions because I'd love to learn more about you. Okay. Um, can you just please share more of your journey in ballet? Mm-hmm. Um, I started tapping when I was four and a half, and um, I think I was dancing around the house a lot, and I have, like, a vivid memory of being brought into this dance class. I think I was late, and it had already started, and the, like, teacher's helper just took my leg and moved it like a shuffle, and then that was, like, kind of the beginning, and I, I've always loved it. Like, I never had a moment where I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. Like, it's just always progressed to the next level very easily for me. Now, where did you grow up? I grew up in Utah, um, a suburb of Salt Lake. It's called Sandy, Utah, right at the mouth of Little Cottonwood Canyon, kind of where all the ski resorts are. I was there until I was 15. I came out for my first summer program to SAB, and then, and I met all these other kids and they were like hoping to stay the year. And I thought they were absolutely crazy. I was like, why would you leave home? Like, I just thought it was the most psycho thing. And then by the end of that summer program, I was like crossing my fingers, hoping my parents would let me stay too. But my mom said, you know, come back and, uh, get good grades one more year. Think about it, you know? And so I, um, ended up staying for my junior and senior year at SAB year round. So your first summer at SAB was the summer of your freshman year? Of my sophomore year. Sophomore year, okay. Yeah, and until then I was doing, like, the Ballet West um, Conservatory summer program, and it was, like, a really intensive six-week summer program, and some people came from out of state to do that. So I was getting really good training at home, mm-hmm. but then it got to a point where um, I was, like, a trainee with Ballet West that year, my sophomore year, and the height requirements were so crazy. Like, you had to be five, six or taller to audition as a girl for the company, just to audition. Wow. And I'm five, three and a half. And, and they, I was, you know, obviously, 
a part of it because I was part of the school, but he didn't really, Jonas Kogo was a director, he wanted taller dancers, and so a bunch of the Ballet West dancers just kind of whispered to me, like, get out. Oh, really? Yeah. And I I don't think my... Were you hoping to stay there? Was that kind of what your aspiration was at that point? No, if I had an opportunity there that seems good, I might have. I don't know. I, I wasn't incredibly ambitious. I wasn't one of these dancers that knew where I wanted to be and what I wanted to be. And I didn't even know of New York City Ballet. Like, obviously, I, I had heard of it, but I didn't connect that it was with SAB I was aspiring, if anything, if I left, I would want to be part of San Francisco Ballet because I was on the West Coast kind of. Right. That was more familiar, probably. And and I really, yeah, it's, that's the company I kind of looked up to and glorified. And um, I had no idea what I had gotten myself into going back to SAB and, and it ended up being a fabulous choice. How did you happen to try out there? Um, I auditioned for every summer program that came to the Salt Lake area. Okay. And um, I remember even the the day I auditioned for SAB, I didn't even school that day. I was like really sick. And I remember thinking, you know what? I can get enough energy and just go do this one audition. I didn't even, I mean, I think I knew it was an important audition, but I just had it in my head, audition for everything, keep all your options open. And I remember um, the woman who auditioned me was Susie Hendel, who I've now gotten to work with as a principal and is like a, a very dear friend. I just remember like I was barely getting through the class. Like I was putting a cough drop in my mouth in between each oh, combination gosh. to like make sure that I could like keep breathing. Like I was really sick. <laughs> and I'm so glad I pushed through that because um, kind of what like where you are <laughs> was where we were able to afford to go. And I think SAB has a fantastic scholarship program. Like they they can get a lot of dancers there on scholarship and I didn't get scholarships to other places. You know, I didn't, I will always remember I never got a scholarship to PMB's summer program. And I was like, Oh, it's cause I'm not tall enough and my legs aren't <laughs> not pretty enough. You know, like you feel all bad about yourself. And, and literally the, the reason we picked to go to SAB was because I got a full ride and that's kind ah. of started. So, so you went that first summer the summer of your sophomore year, and then you came back. And then I came back, and I was a trainee with Ballet West and also taking classes with Ballet West Conservatory, the school I had been with. Okay. And um, So is that traditional school, or was it kind of through the program? Um, that was just ballet class, two ballet classes at night. Okay, so you went to I went traditional to regular high, high school. school, and okay. that year I um, was leaving at 11 o'clock every day. And my mom would pick me up and drop me off at the, like, light rail station. And I would take the the train up to downtown Salt Lake and walk and take, do the rehearsals with them when it when oh. I was called to do rehearsals with them. So it wasn't every day, but it was, um, I was already missing a lot of school. And so I would have to go to school every morning, like, an hour before school started for everybody else and meet with my teachers. And, like, oh, it was goodness. a lot of self-managing of my homework. And I mean, it, I had to have the drive, you know? Right. And it sounded like your mom had put some onus of grades oh, onto yeah. you in order yeah. to go back. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, even if I didn't get to go, I mean, even when I went to SAB, um, the first week I went to a public performing arts school, PPAS, that they offer as a lot of, as an option for a lot of people who aren't coming with a lot of money. And because it's the public school, but they work with SAB schedule. And so you get to leave and you get to go take ballet class and then you can come back. And um, it was not an acceptable uh, scenario with my parents when I told them the classes that were offered and kind of the level of classes. It wasn't like what I was getting at home and I was retaking certain things and other things weren't available that I needed to continue so um, my parents stayed up that whole first night that I was back there for the year-round program thinking, oh, my God, we're going to have to bring her home. And and I think they felt horrible about it, but they just weren't okay with, like, sending me off and, and not having quality education. a quality education. And, and so they kind of contacted SAB about it. I think they probably said she, she has to come home, and SAB came up with some extra money, and I was able to go to the private school, professional children's school, that a bunch of other dancers um, okay. went to, and it was a uh, much better 
program for me, and I got all the classes I needed. So I was able to continue from where I had left off in Utah, and and that was the only reason I was able to stay. So for me, it was a lot of, you know, money kinds of decisions right, stress. that went into it. Yeah. So you were a junior going, and um, you wound up moving away from home. How was that transition? You know, I think um, I would have thought it would have been a really stressful thing, but after that first summer, I knew these are the people I get along with. These are the best friends I have ever had. Like the people that I have connected with on every level, you know, I I had great friends in Utah, but they didn't really understand what I did. Right. And it's like they spoke the same language almost. Yeah. It was like, now I wasn't the odd person out. We all were in (laughs) it together in this crazy life that we were doing. And we all understood each other in that way. And, and I also wasn't, um, Mormon. I'm not Mormon. My family's uh, originally from California, and my parents mm-hmm. met in college in Utah, and they love the scenery, and so that's why they're there. But I felt very left out in Utah growing up, and right. so I finally felt like, oh, my God, I'm, an, I'm one of these people. I belong. And so moving there for the year, it was just like – it was literally like a slumber party every night kind of feeling. Aww. Like I was living with my, my best friends, and we were all just having the time of our lives. Now, did you know the people, your roommate um, or your sweet mates I did. from I, the summer program? I knew or... them from the summer. And um, a bunch of them got into the company with me. And even one of my sweet mates from back that first year is now my sister-in-law. She married my husband's brother oh my in goodness. Pennsylvania Ballet. So everything came in very... Oh, that's really neat. Yeah. It's really funny. We always are laughing about it. <laughs> wow. And... So did you ever get homesick or were your, was your family able to visit enough you know, or kind of, how was that my, first year with that? My parents didn't even come back to New York until I think the first workshop, but I don't even remember them being there. I think I was so stressed out. They didn't, they'd never even been back to New York. My aunt dropped me off at my first summer program and my parents aren't big travelers. They like to stay in Utah and go camping in the mountains and, and that's okay. their big vacation. So they're not city people and they tried to stay away as long as possible. Um, and so I did get really homesick. I didn't have any family on the East coast and I didn't have any like close family friends that lived in the city to go be with if I needed to. And I left that first, um, before the first Thanksgiving break, I left a whole week early because I was so homesick and they were just like, you need to go and be with your family. And then did that kind of rejuvenate you to come back? I was always ready to come back. But, um, even then I remember the spring break, um, before we would come back and and do workshop in June, spring break was like in March. I went home for a couple of weeks and I, I was so stressed out to do um, the workshop performance that I didn't want to get on the plane. So I had a couple moments like that where I remember looking back and, and if I was hoping my, I thought my dad was behind me still while I was waiting to board the plane and he was already down, down the terminal, like walking the other way. I think he was probably crying, but like, I was ready to say, I don't want to go back. I'm too stressed out. I want to be at home. And he was already gone. I think he was crying. So he wanted to just leave. And it was like pre nine 11. So, you know, you could be right up to the gate with somebody. Oh, that's true. Yeah. And, um, and I just, I remember that moment because, um, it wasn't that I was homesick. It was just that stuff was starting to get very stressful to me and like things I really cared about. I wanted to do well in the first workshop performance and right. you know, this was all like what I knew I really wanted and that it makes it even more difficult, you know? Right. That's when the stress emotionally. Gets and, um, I, I struggled that, that spring and, uh, it's hard cause you know, you just have your friends to deal with and you're in competition with them. Good point. So, so what is, um, explain what the workshops are. Yeah. For every, those that don't know. Every June, um, the School of American Ballet puts on, like, it's like their recital, but it's way more professional than that. It's basically okay. your opportunity as a student to show other other artistic directors um, what what you're, you're like and, and your opportunity to get a job. If not with New York City Ballet, then maybe with another company. Like, a lot of people go and watch that, and it's it's kind of your big audition, your Wow. It's especially with New York City Ballet, it's your big audition moment to, to get into that company. And um, so you. So that was your junior year. And that was junior. Does, it hap- 
that does it happen that young or what happened? Yeah, I mean, um, like junior, senior year, people get into the company, at, at least at that time. I think maybe they try to make sure everybody's 17 or 18 now. But um, I remember, um, like especially you kind of know you're in the runnings to get into the company if you mm-hmm. get the Ween Award. And they give okay. it to about four dancers every workshop. And it's um, you get a, a little like bit of money to kind of start your life out with and you also just get this nice little um kind of it's not a trophy it's more like a little bronze statue of um two people partnering and uh it's just kind of become a special thing to like a big achievement at the end of the year right and those people usually get into the company and i remember and people often get into the company after their performance of workshops sometimes you find out and I was sitting there with my friend. We'd both gotten the ween, and it was like 11 o'clock after workshop. And we're like, wow, I guess we didn't get in the company. <laughs> like, we had, like, no idea. Um, we both went off to summer programs that summer. I went to San Francisco. Where did you go? I went to San Francisco. I thought I'll um, – I almost stayed there. Like, I had an opportunity um, to join the company then and join them on tour right after the summer program. And Helgi was, like, on the phone with my mom at one point talking about it and – it was something that was really going to happen. And then I kind of just made a last minute decision um, to try it one more year in New York. Um, and it's kind of weird. Usually they let people know if you're going to have an opportunity or not to, to get in and, and so that you don't make other plans. Right. But I was completely in the dark. Like wow. my husband, who was like the year before me, he knew the whole year that he was going to get into the company. They had had a private meeting with him and told him, but like I was completely in the dark and, I'm really glad I gave it another shot because then yeah. that no that October I think um, Rosemary and Peter came to watch one of our classes and then later um, like I think it was like six or eight of us got in together. So you got the award and there was no word after that. It wasn't any sort of no nothing. Wow. And so did you go to San Francisco that summer? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And was your thought when you went there that you know, I kind of got to keep all my options open or was I, it just because you I'm wanted always to try an it? options open type of person. And I all have always loved that company. So I think probably in my head, I was thinking I was too short to be in New York city ballet. And, okay. and I was, I just wanted to go where people wanted me. So I hadn't heard anything, you know, I think, um, if it had gotten even more down to the wire, we probably would have called and asked, or maybe we did even call and ask SAB what we should do, but they usually work with you. So then after you came back was when you were asked to join right. in October, you said, okay. So that was your senior year of high school. Wow. Yeah. And then, and then you proceeded into apprentice. How long? That's a year long process. Yeah. I was an apprentice for exactly a year. And then you kind of hope and wait for a contract. Is that how it works? Um, no, like it's like a deadline. Like they have to let oh, you really? know at a certain time that you're going to be with the company. And we all found out at the end of Saratoga um, that in the fall, exactly a year from when we signed our apprentice contracts, that we were going to be core members. And did everybody get that? Everybody did. Um, yeah, we all got in. Because I can't imagine how horrible that would be to have... All work towards that, and then it happens some years that they can't, they don't have enough space, so they have to be a little more discerning in who they choose uh-huh. out of the group of apprentices, and that's that's hard, right? You know, do they ever like reach back out? Let's say an apprentice didn't get in and kind of moved on, and and then they thought, well, you know, I still love that person, and reach, we've got more Usually space, or they they're making a pretty. Um, educated decision. They know what they wanted. They, they've seen enough within that year to know maybe they don't quite fit in or maybe they don't have it in them. You know, like it takes a tough personality and you can have all of the technical and artistic aspects, but you don't have, you know, that thick skin that you need to get through this. And um, so there, that's what I think is the biggest test is that they're judging your resilience right away That's a and, good point yeah and how much you can take a rough schedule or take a bad day or take rough criticism and use it so then once you were in the core what was your um, progress from there I was in the core for um, like a year and a half I think no in the in the middle of my second year in the core I got promoted to soloist 
how did you find that one out? Um, I got a an enormous opportunity to do Swanilda and it ended up being that they needed me for every single show like every other possible possible principal that did the part was not available like injured and 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 not able to pull through and I had kind of been learning it I didn't think I was going to do it and then the last minute I found out I was doing all four so I had been really pushed really early and um and the night before the first show where I did it in State Theater, I got promoted with Ashley Bowder and Stephen Hanna. We all got promoted together. So how do you find out? Did somebody pull you aside? Or yeah, we were, kinda... for some reason, there was a company meeting up in the main rehearsal hall. And right after um, Peter's assistant, Debbie, said, uh, Peter wants to see you in his office after this. And I think that all dancers are kind of wired to automatically think, oh, my God, did I get in trouble? What did I do? <laughs> <laughs> and I went I'm getting a boot yeah but then I went down to the fourth floor where his office is and saw you know the other two people I got promoted with and they had big smiles on their face and they'd been around longer and they knew what that kind of thing meant meeting meant so um yeah so that was really exciting it was a really big shock because it happened really quickly so what'd you do after you found out? Who'd you tell first? Oh, I called my parents, I'm sure. <laughs> and Andy, um, my husband. So were you guys dating at that point? Yeah, we were already living together. <laughs> I, oh, okay. I moved from, I started dating him um, my, for, my first year in the Corps. And, okay, oh, so that would have been like yeah. the year after you graduated high school? Yeah, like... I'm trying to think. Yeah, that's exactly how it worked. I, it was the year after high school. We, as soon as I was, I moved out of the dorms, we moved in together. So we had been dating for a year and then we moved into an apartment on the Upper West Side. And I think then like another half a year later, I got promoted. And then what was the progression from soloist to principal then? I think maybe that was February when I got promoted to soloist. And then the next January, I got promoted to principal. <laughs> So you were on a fast track. Yeah, it was it was incredibly shocking. I was not expecting it. And I literally said, what for like, are you like, are you serious for like the next 20 minutes? Like, are you sure about this? Like, are you kidding? Like, I thought it was a joke um, because it kind of happened in a joke. Like uh, one of the ballet masters told me uh, Peter wants to see you in his office after the matinee. And I said, oh, my gosh, is it about the tutu? And he said, what tutu? And I said, oh, nothing. And somehow he found out what it was, and they played this whole trick on me. I went into the office thinking that I was in trouble for losing this tutu I had rented for a gig. I had left it on an airplane. Oh, no. And I was going to have to pay, like, thousands of dollars to replace it, and I was so horrified about it. Like, I was really, like, I felt horrible. And um, (laughs) so I'm sitting there with, Joaquin who was on the gig with me so it's even making more sense I'm like oh they were having him be in this meeting too because he he was on the gig with me and that's when I lost the tutu and so I sit down with them and Peter and Rosemary and Peter says so I hear there's a story about a tutu and I was like oh yeah and so I'm explaining it and they're all smiling (laughs) and, and I'm like why are they smiling and so I'm like laughing by then I'm like yeah I lost the tutu like I don't know like I didn't understand why, but it was, like, all okay all of a sudden. And then they're just, like, dying. And he says at the last minute, that's not why you're here. You're being promoted. Oh, my God. And I think Joaquin was relieved because he's like, why the hell am I in here getting a lecture about her losing a tutu, you know? And he was also at a point in his career where it made sense for him to be promoted. But I was – they played this trick on me, and I'm, like, in shock. I I couldn't wrap my brain around it for a long time. And then I, I remember vividly, I called my mom. And she, I said, Mom, I got promoted to principal. And she goes, oh, no. She was really worried that it was too fast and too much responsibility. And, of course, that's not what you want to hear from your mom. No, but, you want the opposite reaction. Yeah, but looking back, I, I see why she did that. I mean, that's right. I, I, that's true. I understand, you know, and I knew in the moment why she did it. But I was hoping that she had faith in me that I'd be able to handle it. It, it was a struggle. I mean, ever since then... I've seen a therapist like right after that. It was just too overwhelming. I was I was thrust into some big ballets that I had always put up on a pedestal and thought, 
Oh, well, when I grow up, I get to do that. Or at least I don't have to do that. At least I don't have that much responsibility or have to ah. do something that technically technical on stage. And it was theme and variations um, that I did within like a month of being promoted. I did it in D.C. at the Kennedy Center with Joaquin. And it's something he had done at ABT. And it was like, it's always stressful. But I think he already um, dealt with all of the stress of it. And I was like, what am I doing here? Like, why are, why do they think that I can do this? I couldn't understand it. And um, at that point, Darcy and Kira were still principals in the company. And, and that was something that I had a really hard time wrapping my head around because I did not feel worthy to, right. to be on the roster with them as a principal. Like, I felt like maybe they would be like, think it's a joke. Like, who is this person? Like, you know, like, and right. uh, I, I definitely suffered from the imposter syndrome you know where I just for for many years even even still I feel that way sometimes where you think pretty soon everybody's gonna realize that I'm just a big phony and that I'm not actually <laughs> capable of this that I've just been um you know fooling everybody this whole time you know wow so that is why I started talking to a therapist you know I basically just had to have a way to deal with the stress and to find some confidence and that helped, and it's always helped me, and I continue to do it because what we do is stressful. But I have to say the only thing that made it better was just time and experience in the roles. Eventually, I started to own you know, my rank and started to feel proud of myself and to feel like I deserved it. You know, It wasn't until I felt consistent in some really good roles that I felt like, okay, well, now I'm worthy of this, you know, and, and it was rough. And I, I, I if I could do it again I would probably tell Peter please don't promote me yet like if he wanted to you know I I would I I wished I had more years in the core to to be with my friends you know like I I didn't get so were you with any friends um at that point um yeah that same time Ashley Bowder also got promoted again with me okay but but being a principal, you're essentially by yourself all day long and you're not in the dressing room with your friends anymore and you're not on stage with your friends like or in rehearsal. Like They all go through their whole day and they it's incredibly bonding what they do and and they have to work together. And I missed out on the, the group effort. The sisterhood of it all. Yeah, I really missed out on that. And like I still do go up to the um, girls' dressing room and hang out with them just because I, I really like to be a part of the group. And I felt like isolated for so long. That was probably the hardest thing about being promoted was that all of a sudden everybody else was busy and I had my own rehearsals all by myself. And so learning how to manage that and at a really young age when you, you're still kind of, I didn't have confidence and I still Mm -hmm. needed to be with my friends. And um, I think that was the hardest. Did you get any sense of um, jealousy or reaction from them, or was it just more the role of being a principal itself? None was... of the none of my friends my age made me feel like um, that I didn't deserve it. They were all very supportive. Um, I'm sure that there were some older core members that were annoyed by it, you know. And I remember reading a blog of somebody that thought. Because back then I was stupid enough to read blogs like that. Um, right. <laughs> someone thought that um, all these other core girls should have been pushed more than faster than me. You know, people that had been there longer, people that were five or seven years older than me, you know. And it was really crazy. I was 20. And um, so I understood it. But also you're just hoping that they see in you what Peter obviously saw in me, which I still had yet to see in me. You know, and I never felt necessarily like that people were, you know, angry with me or bitter at at my situation. But I did feel an immense responsibility to prove that I deserved it. It was probably the most depressed time of my life. Right after I got promoted, I went to like this spa in upstate New York on our layoff all by myself. And it was like all this yoga and like all of this, like just, you know, one of those spas, like everybody else there had been divorced pre just recently you know right like going through stuff yeah and they're like what are you here for and I'm like I just got promoted (laughs) (laughs) and it probably sounds so like spoiled or ridiculous but it was that much responsibility and it wasn't like I just got promoted and then just had nothing to do I was doing everything with Joaquin like he was at a place in his career where he 
he was in his prime and he needed to be on stage and do these big ballets. And so there I am joining him, trying to play catch up. So how was it that you were partnered with him primarily? Because I'm short. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. He's um, the shortest, one of the shortest principal okay. men. He is a fantastic dancer and, and deserved and needed someone on stage and someone that he could partner. And we still struggle a little bit. Like I think once I get on point, my feet are pretty long it's still kind of a reach sometimes, but but I'm the best option, and we make it work. So it's, is that the way it typically works, where um, a principal tip is primarily partnering always with the same person? Not necessarily. It's only that way if you're, like, at the extremes of heights. So if Got you're the it. tallest okay. girl, you always have your one guy that helps you get through it that's the tallest guy. And, and same with the smallest guy. Well, besides your obvious ability and technique, do you think that your height was part of the promotion at that moment because of him? I definitely think so. And it's funny because I remember when I first went to my, the first SAB summer program, my mom was on the phone with me and she said, are you the shortest or how tall is everybody? And she was really concerned. She thought it was because I came from this Ballet West, like standard of height. height. It was so crazy. And she thought that was really going to hold me back. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm totally like a normal height. Like I didn't feel like, like I was a, sh- a short, a shorter dancer, but there were other girls that were even shorter than me in the school. And so it's something that we thought was going to hold me back. And it probably progressed my career even quicker. Yeah, that's interesting to say. It's, You're right. It, and it makes you realize you never know what unique thing you might have that's going to get you there. Like it might be something you don't like about yourself, but it's, it's also what makes you stand out. Yeah. And it does make sense that sometimes it has nothing to do with technique. It Um, has to do with technique plus something that you can't control. Technique (laughs) is always like got to be in the the foundation. Yeah. That's, that's always got to be there. Number one. But, um, it's, it's the other things that you get picked for, you know, just like a certain look, like a lot of directors have certain looks that they like. And so if you're in a smaller company, that could be the reason they they choose you, you know. Mm -hmm. But in our company, we have so many people that there's so many different types. So, Megan, this interview and podcast is about the journey in dance. And I'm sure you know journeys aren't taken in just a straight line and failures and disappointments are a part of the process. So besides some of the stories you've spoken of, and obviously there's been kind of positives and negatives Mm -hmm. in some of that, but... Is there a specific disappointment or failure that kind of stands out for you as a dancer? For me, it would be the um, some of the reviews I've gotten. And I, I think that you only see the bad stuff about yourself. And I, I don't notice that anybody else gets bad reviews. But there are everybody, everybody feels that way, you know. Everybody only sees the bad about themselves. Um, but that that's probably been the hardest for me to overcome. Like... For a while, and, and still a little bit, I feel ashamed, you know, that certain things have been written about me that um, just, I don't know, they feel hateful, you know. And it's fine. It's like, it's going to be part of it. Um, but as an, for me as a person, I have to learn how to deal with it and get over it and realize that it doesn't matter what reviews you get. Like, that's not your boss. That's not who's in charge of the company. Who's going to put you out there. That's not your colleagues who see you every day, who know what you're capable of, see you grow. And, you know, it's like, I think with reviews, it becomes so much of just someone's specific taste. And if you don't happen to fit their, their specific preferences of what they think a dancer should be, then, then they're always going to not like you. And it doesn't matter what I do on stage. It's like, I would, um, I mean, I'm speaking specifically about Alistair with the Times. Like, it, I would read a review and think, oh, my God, like, I, I would be devastated. And then I would be like, okay, well, I'm going to try to use this. And I'm going to try to change myself. And I, oh, I would go out there and, like, not be dancing for me. And it didn't feel as genuine. I probably made my reviews even worse for a while because I was trying to search for what he wanted out of me. And... You know, how could I stop these bad reviews from happening? Like, what is it? How am I going to look like a ballerina in his eyes? Right. And And that's kind of like when you have a (laughs) dating somebody that you shouldn't be dating or have a bad friend where it's like you keep trying to change who you are to make them like you. And you're like, wait a second. (laughs) And I eventually realized that I needed to just get out of that relationship, you know? Right. Exactly. And um, it's been very freeing. I be- basically what I did, I, I got to a point where 
like I struggled with it back and forth where I would read and then I wouldn't and then I read and then I I would only read if I felt very proud of my show. Then I would Google my name or and Google the ballet because I'm like, well, I know I could not dance any better than that. That was something that was so good for me. And I, I feel like maybe they'll validate the way I feel now. And I would go and search and it would still be the same horrible thing. And, and that would make me feel even worse because it was like, well, that was the moment I was like really proud of. And so I got, I became miserable. And I got to a point where I was like, you know what? I'm either going to have to stop dancing or get over this, you know? And so I basically just scheduled a meeting with Peter and um, I just wanted some advice. And so I went in and I said, uh, I just, I want to like turn a new page in, in my career. Like I don't want to read reviews. I don't know if you see them, but they're horrible about me. You know, I just want to make sure before I, you know, put my head down and, and focus just on what I'm doing. Is there anything that you personally think that I should change? Because I wanted to, I want, you know, as a dancer, you have to be open to criticism, but I think from the right people and from the people that will actually, you'll actually be able to please, like that will be working with you every day and that can ask you to do this or that. And so before I really put the blinders on and didn't worry about what people said about me, I just wanted to kind of do a once over and make sure that I am okay to just keep being me. And I said, so is there anything I should change? Like, what do you think I should work on? Or why am I getting these reviews? And he told me, don't change a thing. And it was like, oh, my God, I feel like. He just lifted the weight off your shoulders, probably. It was like the best thing I could have done, I think, to go and talk to my own boss about it. And we talked for a long time. And um, I just, it made me feel really good. And so now, unfortunately, every time he reads a bad review about me, he comes and gives me an enormous compliment. It makes me, when I get a big, (laughs) a big, big compliment from Peter that he's very insistent on and he won't, you know, I'm like, oh God, he must have read a bad review. But I think that um, it's upsetting to him too, because these are dancers that he likes and he's proud of. He cares about you and he loves the, what you're doing. And you know, I would, I would not trade that for the world to have my boss be the one that likes me over one one critic like who cares you know that's so what's the lesson that you learned from this the lesson I learned the lesson I learned is that I mean everybody always says this and it sounds cliche and it's annoying but they're they're (laughs) only one person and I am able to you know entertain 20 2500 other people every night that we're out there and and there are little kids out there, and there's there's family. I don't know. There's just fans out there that, mm-hmm. and, and I don't never. I never really hear from them. Some of them. Um, I think right. since since my reviews have been so bad, <laughs> I do have certain people write into me and and tell me like, oh, I wrote into the Times on your behalf. Like, Aww. I just want you to know, blah blah blah. And I wrote, I write back. Oh, please don't tell me what they said. I don't read them. I please don't tell me and. And so this one sweet person keeps um, sending me every good thing that's ever said about me. They, they put it in a letter and send it to me. And it's like, oh, my God, that's so awesome. So it's well, like I do know from a personal perspective that you are deemed as the the it person amongst a lot of aspiring dancers as far as both being an amazing dancer, but also because of your kindness and approachability. And so, I mean, I. Honestly, I'm saying that from um, from my perspective as a parent and watching the eyes light up when, oh, cool. when, uh, when the words are spoken of having been able to meet you at Saratoga or mm-hmm. when you came through the, the Twin Cities for a performance. Oh, and, cool. You know, so it's, it's uh, you're one of the ones that a lot of the young dancers seek out. That's to awesome. hope to meet one day. So it's it's the truth. That's awesome. <laughs> well, if anything, the bad reviews have kept me humble. <laughs> and they Well, I think that you are approachable and I think that over the course of the summer your presence was, you know, at, at SAB was very um appreciated and Oh good. And you know, it went beyond the starstruckness to the point of she's really nice too. Oh you know? yeah. Well that's like that's the one thing my mom would always say to me is just you know, we just want you to be a nice person. Like, that's 
always that's always been the most important to my family and like I kind of like would not listen to what she would say but uh then you realize like that is the most important and uh I think my my parents were really great so well that's good and that that um it's good to hear that the the words of advice eventually sink in. <laughs> it does. It does. I mean, you're when you're a kid, you're so focused on what you want to get done and what you want to accomplish yeah. that, yeah. If, if you know, parents always say something that feels like it's in the way, <laughs> right? You know. But um, my my mom and I talk every day, and she's pretty grounding. That's great yeah. to hear. Yeah, she's well, not. Tell her she's that, not that in, she's done a good job. <laughs> she's not in the ballet world at all. And, that probably helps because I'll tell her her certain things and she'll say, like, you know, she just makes it real to me. Like, that's right. ridiculous or why <laughs> would you do that? Or, you know, she keeps me level-headed. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So you mentioned the disappointment, but in addition to disappointments, I'm sure, well, we know mm-hmm. that you as dancers have beautiful, magical moments. Is there one bright, shining moment in your history that kind of stands out for you? Probably many, but one that I'm remembering right now is um, getting to do uh, theme and variations with my husband on stage. And I think that we both were like, I mean, we don't get a dance together that much because he does everything Joaquin does, but in the other cast with a taller girl. Oh, got it. Okay. And so if Joaquin's doing it, I'm not going to dance with anybody else. And uh, I think Joaquin was injured maybe this one time. And um, we got to perform this really hard ballet that kind of has meant a lot to me. Like, it's something that terrified me at the beginning of my career. But because of that, and I've overcome it and learned to love it, it's become something really special to me. And so getting to, sh- to be on stage with him. Um, and the whole the whole way that Theme and Variations opens is with the tondus. And you're kind of, like, addressing your, your partner and uh, I think I'll, I'll always remember, like, smiling back and forth at him there. And, that's really sweet. and it was a really good show, too. So I think that's what I'll remember. Has there been or was there, like, kind of a one specific moment where all of a sudden you looked around and thought, oh, my gosh, I've made it? Like, this is it? I still think that um, I'm fooling everybody, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think when little kids come up and ask um, for your picture or autograph, like, uh-huh. I think that makes me realize, but other than that, I, uh, I'm just going to work every day and getting the job done kind of thing. Like I'm not think I, I, I won't let myself read dance magazines. I won't let myself read reviews anymore. I, and it's something that I'll do later on and then appreciate the art form in that way. But right now I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing it in a different way. And to get that done well, I have to kind of put blinders on and, and so I don't recognize until okay. someone says that they know me or or that kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you've talked about your family and how they've played a integral part, but um, in your opinion, how have they played a major part in your success? Yeah. I mean, the thing that my mom always told me was if you ever want to stop at any time and, and come home, we won't judge you and we'll be here and we'll accept you with open arms. Like that was always an option, no matter what level I had gotten to. I mean, she first started saying that um, when I moved to SAB, I think she thought Uh if I felt like this wasn't for me, I would feel like I had disrupted the, the family too much, you know, to actually say that I don't like it and come back home or like, you know, she allowed me to feel like it wasn't a failure to change my mind. And she said that even throughout my career, I think. Um, I always felt like it was always just me making this decision if I really wanted to do this. And it wasn't, like, something that my mom wasn't, like, living vicariously through me, you know, wanting to have been a dancer herself or something. I think my mom had wanted to dance. Like, she would always watch, like, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers and stuff. And (laughs) um, unfortunately, my mom is incredibly uncoordinated. (laughs) My dad is the coordinated one. and, And so she... I think they're kind of both looking at us like, wow, where did they come from? 
you know? And so it's, it's kind of been nice that there's that distance there that she's just there to appreciate as like a regular person in the audience and not someone that knows what the steps are called, you know? Right. right. I think she still says pas de deux or something. <laughs> like something's always mispronounced, like, but it's nice. It's like, she doesn't really know. And there's that distance yeah, there. And, yeah. and she always um, was supportive in the right way. So if not ballet, what would you be doing? I really liked math in school. Um, so maybe something with math. I, uh-huh. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to school right now on the side, and I'm majoring in math oh. and economics. And just as, like, you know, a serious backup plan in case there's no right. job for me in the industry when I'm done. <laughs> Which I don't think there – I mean, I think I will be able to transition into something else within ballet. But Oh, for sure. Um, I kind of just – it's another thing my mom always told me to do. Like she just always told me to go to keep going to school so yeah. that I felt like I had some perspective. I think that's great advice. Yeah. And I, it was hard to manage at first because I got pushed so quickly and I would, you know, I took like one course at 18, another course at 20, another course at 22. And then finally I was at a point in my career where um, I really wanted to start going to school more. So I, I started doubling up, um, each semester taking two classes and and now I'm just taking one class at a time because I'm like where am I going I'm not going anywhere right. you know and I, what's the rush yeah I'm a senior <laughs> now so I'm just kind of oh, wow. slowly taking everything I need to finish my major but um uh that was another piece of advice from my mom just she always pushed me to keep taking classes so that I felt like okay well if the casting goes up this week um or this season and there's not much for me to do at least I have something else going for me. And it kind of took the pressure off of that casting. Worrying sheet. about that. Yeah. Because it, there are seasons for everybody, no matter who you are, where, um, especially like in the middle of your career, when you're a soloist, where there's not much for you to do and perform. And it can be really, it can be something to deal with mentally, you know, it can, mm-hmm. it can pull you down. And I, I always just tried to keep myself busy. And I think that helped. So do you do your college courses online or do you actually physically go somewhere? I did a couple online, but um, I always go to Lincoln Center campus. And it's like okay. across the street from our theater. And I can go a Monday night class or there's um, morning classes that you can do before you go take company class. So that's kind of makes the day really long. But I also feel incredibly refreshed when I do it because I'm not just in that theater all day long. Like I've been to another building at least and and I <laughs> you crossed the street <laughs> and I've been focused in a different way and uh and I like I do my homework in between rehearsals like I just have it laid out at my dressing room spot and if I have like an hour here or there I come in and I do a couple math problems and um I find it fun I I it's not like for me I chose math because I didn't feel like I would have the mental capacity with ballet to go and read a bunch or write a bunch of essays ah, and have right. that train of yeah. thought and like I can just go do like this little math puzzle and <laughs> I don't know I've, I've always really been in, interested in math and um, so have other people in my family so it's definitely what I would have done otherwise but um, and maybe you still will at some point yeah who knows who knows, who knows right yeah if you had the opportunity to dance on stage with any dancer either current or in the history of dance, who would it be and what would you dance? Um, I think this might not sound so interesting because, I mean, I, I put the blinders on so much that I don't even know so much about other dancers that I possibly want to dance with because I'm just trying not to realize the moment too much and freak myself out about what I'm doing. <laughs> um, but I, then I would say my brother because we don't, oh, I love that. Yeah, we don't get a dance. Um together like he started off his career his big like Coppelia type moment for him was getting to do this Elliot Feld ballet called Intermezzo he was an apprentice and he um there were it's a ballet with three couples and he at the last minute two weeks before the ballet went on jumped into one of the roles dancing with me oh wow and so I kind of like pulled him through his like first little stressful thing and uh well never get a dance together again, I fear, because it's always a romantic, it's a romantic art form. And, and good point. if you're on stage with a person, you know, it has to be beautiful in that romantic type of way. Not that every ballet is always about that, but it kind of always has that 
layer to it, especially the parts that my brother does are incredibly romantic, usually, like Romeo and Juliet, or he's always kind of, you know, we both do duo concertant, and we, like, know that we'll never be able to perform it together someday because the ending is very romantic. But the, the whole first part, before the lights turn dark, feels like something that we would really enjoy doing together. It's more playful, and uh-huh. um, we both have the desire to to some. I think that we both want to do that ballet together, just because it's we know there's no other possibility. Like we we look right. at things, and it's like I don't I don't see anything else that we both do that we could possibly pull off without grossing out the audience. You know, <laughs> it would have to be a different kind of ballet, but. Right. Maybe someday someone will choreograph something where it works okay, but that would be uh, that would be so awesome if I could dance with him. That would be, yeah. Now, is he younger or older than you? He's three years younger, but a lot taller. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, and um, that one time we did dance together, we just, like, had the funnest time because we have the exact same understanding of the music. Like, not that it's correct, but... We, we read it in the same way. It's like oh, that's neat. we speak the same tempo. <laughs> the way. Do you have other si- siblings? No, it's just us. Okay. Yeah, which makes that's it even, really, really even more yeah. special, you know? Yeah. So it's cool that he's in the company. I never thought he would be. Um, he was going to be a jazz hip-hop dancer and go to, like, L.A. or something and be in music videos. And I just got him to get to SAB for one last summer. I said, just clean up your technique for one last summer. And. That summer, he saw Peter Bull dance um, Oberon in Midsummer Night's Dream in Saratoga. And he was like, wow, I didn't know that men could do that, you know? And, like, all of a sudden, ballet was cool. Oh, that's really neat. Yeah. So what's your favorite activity outside of dance? Um, Besides math. (laughs) Yeah. Andy and I do, like, we like to go for bike rides together. And we like to, to do something outdoors. But, um... I also love to knit. I just kind of picked that up. I've always loved doing like crafty things. Uh-huh. And uh, so that's my latest thing. I'm like a knitting fiend. What's one thing about you that might surprise the listeners? I pass out really easily. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know if it's like a panic attack type thing, but like if something <laughs> triggers me and I get nervous, I will pass out and it will be a scene and they will take me to the emergency room. Oh no. And um, it's like, pretty bad like it's something that I always fear if I'm like in a big crowded room that and I don't feel quite well that I oh, might no. like have an episode but oh goodness so I'm I do like lots of yoga to try to like stay grounded Centered, and, and yeah and I drink a lot of water because I think I just have like I must have like low blood pressure or something like I'm I'm just very susceptible to being too close to passing out. Right. <laughs> so I'm always like, that's always something I'm thinking about that nobody really knows, like, if I'm in that That's in your mind, yeah. Room. Like, it doesn't happen with um, me performing at all, but, like, I felt it a little bit when I've gone in to teach a class that um, I don't feel quite well, and, oh, my God, wouldn't that be horrific if I just passed out in front of everybody right now? <laughs> so I'm always like, that's when I chug a lot of water and I try to, like, you know calm myself down (laughs) what's your opinion based on you know your experience and everything with SAB and New York City Ballet um, for the necessity of training in a year-round trainee program if you want to be accepted into a major company before I went through all of this I would think that that's crazy but looking looking at it now I I don't see that there's any other way unless you're at a school that is giving you challenges still and that there's still people around you that you can learn from and Mm -hmm. it got to a point for me that I couldn't there was nothing left for me to get in Utah there was no other dancers to look at and learn from and there was no new anything to learn and and going to SAB was like learning this whole new set of tools that I was not going to get at home and and so I had to be there and and it wasn't for me like I want to go to SAB so I can be in New York City Ballet it was just like, this is a great school for me to continue doing what I've been doing to the, mm-hmm. take it to the next level. And, and I wasn't going to be able to do that in Utah. So, so that's why I left home early. Um, and it, it just so happened to work out that it got me my job too. Right. Um, right. But I would say if you think you're going to stay because you're hoping to get 
into that company, that's a bad reason to make the choice. You know, like I rem- I don't know how P&B set up now, but they used to have a professional division where you could like, you know, kind of like second companies of. Right. There's one with ABT that like, everybody has like a second company right now. And, and that can be a dangerous thing, you know, because you could get stuck there and invest important years. They don't take you and then be too old to audition anywhere else. I think it's important to just do what's best for your own training. And, and So the second company being different than a trainee program. Yeah, I guess. I mean, well, I'm only bringing that up because SAB is kind of like a second company of New York City Ballet. They can pull from that school anytime they want and put uh, on stage as an apprentice. Right. And so okay. that has that kind of aspect. No other company pulls directly from a specific place except maybe from their second company. Right. Okay. So that's the only reason I compare the two. But um, that's what's nice about SAB is that you could leave SAB and still be young enough to be in somebody's second company. Right. Because you're only just finishing high school typically. 17 or 18. Right. And, and you know, getting in um, before you're 19 or 20 is kind of critical. You have to, you have to get in early. So at this point in the interview, I'll be asking you a few questions provided from aspiring dancers. Okay. Um, each of my interviews, I feature questions from an actual dancer who's hoping to pursue a professional career in dance. And um, I think your words of wisdom based on this interview will be a great resource. Okay. Uh, this interview's questions come from Cosette, who's in a pre-professional program and hopes to pursue a career in professional ballet. So her first question is, what special quote, thing do you have that makes you stand out as a dancer? Besides what we already talked about, my height. <laughs> right. Um, I, it's something that I think also is a detriment to me, but I think incredibly technically, like, um, and I am constantly working on, like, my placement and my, like, all of the technical aspects of what you would do at bar or in ballet class. So I kind of approach... Uh, ballet very technically oriented mm-hmm. and I think sometimes that is a challenge for me to work on being more artistic and not right. thinking about how something could be perfect and how I'm you know if or if you're able to achieve it or not you know right. like I think sometimes like that's where I, I begin and end is just thinking about how perfect I could do the step instead of you know, my challenge is to to try to think of how beautiful I could make it. Right. So, but that, that might just be uh, your love for math. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm more very like practical. Mathematical. In it. <laughs> like I'm, I'm, yeah, my brain works really regimented like that. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, actually. So the next question is actually a good tie-in. A good dancer in ballet usually has to have two things. One, a passion and love for the art. And then also good technique. Mm-hmm. How do you find a balance between the two where you still think about the technique especially when it's a work in progress, but also let your mind free and let the passion drive you. Well, one thing I would say is that what I love about ballet is the technique. Like that is what I find that that's one of my passions for it is going into class and working on it. Mm -hmm. Um, I like that process. And I, that's what immediately drew me to ballet over jazz and tap, which I would was also already doing as a young child was that um, it required more accuracy and you know discipline it wasn't just like go flail around and have a style (laughs) right (laughs) and and there was something more to it and that's what drew me to it um but as a professional you know you you rehearse 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 all day long so that when you go out on stage at night you can just let it fly and you, you just are then you're then you're enjoying in that other way where you're just in the moment um, not thinking about the details of the steps, but just hearing the music performing, like, you know, being, being right in that moment and, and enjoying yourself and having a connection with the audience. And then her last question is, if a dancer attends a summer intensive that has a year-round program and does not get asked to stay, but really would like to pursue that particular year-round program or company, would you suggest they attend the summer program again in hopes of being asked, or would you suggest they move on somewhere else? Well, I think it's always good to have 
options, but I also mm-hmm. think it's good to keep trying. And I would probably say, if you could, before you leave that summer program, what what do you think, like, why didn't I get asked to stay? What could I work on? I don't think that's an obnoxious question. I think that the te- that's what the teachers want to provide. They want people to to want to know how to get it done or what they need to work on. And, and that's a legitimate thing to ask your teacher. Like, not, not in an obnoxious yeah. way, not like, why didn't you pick me? But, but right. what, what do you think I could work on? What am I missing that's, that's keeping me from getting to be where I want to be? Being very realistic about that, that, you know, there's something that you might need to work on in order to, right. to make it happen. I mean, so much of what we do too is like being in the right place at the right time. And like, mm-hmm. if I had been at SAB years before, I would not have gotten into the company because I was too short. There were girls that later came back that had been to other companies that had been passed over during their SAB year because they were too short. And then because they had been SAB at SAB, they were allowed to kind of audition for New York City Ballet again. And the, the company was shorter then, so they were, oh. they were allowed to, to join. And, That's interesting, yeah. yeah. So, And sometimes I would imagine that, like you said, for the year-round program, they might have deficits in certain levels or ages and yeah. need to ask more of one age and less of another age. Yeah, and... it's really being in the right place at the right time, and so that's why you have to audition everywhere because you want right. to go where they want you. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. also it's important to reach, keep keep your goals big still. I, I'm Andy has this one memory from a teacher that used to say, well, why would you want to be um, a small fish in a big pond? And Andy's initial thought was, well, I want to be a big fish in a big pond. You, know, <laughs> and then you can always strive for that. And, then, true, and yeah. then wherever you end up is going to be higher than just settling, you know, somewhere else. Like, so say you go for it and you go try to go to SAB and you don't get in the New York City Ballet or something. Having having been to that school already or having been an apprentice maybe even with New York City Ballet and not getting that contract, that's huge on your resume to go right. anywhere else. So right. I think kind of reaching for the stars type of mentality is is important because it that allows you to keep your options open. So we're down to the final questions, and I like to la- ask these at the end because I love hearing the answers. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is, if you could go back in time to your 13-year-old self with the wisdom, confidence, and lessons you've learned along the way, what advice would you give to yourself? I would tell myself to love myself more and not to feel... Like, I remember at that age, I had a lot of confidence issues. And, um, I mean, at school, too, just being that age at school is hard. Mm-hmm. And I would tell myself to, that it's okay if it's not happening right away. You know, like even in terms of school, like I didn't have a boyfriend. I didn't have any friends. Like I, I had hardly any friends that year. Pace yourself. Like life will, will happen. You have so much time left and you, you are more special than you think. Oh, I love that. That's perfect advice for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even when you're old. That's true. <laughs> And with the wisdom, confidence, and lessons, what would you be? What would be your advice to aspiring dancers? I would say to stay well balanced and to enjoy, you know, being a, like a child still, and and mm-hmm. and try to make sure that you hang out with your friends at school and try to go to the dances if you can. And it's over too quickly. And also, that's what kind of makes you a great artist eventually is having that's a true. real life. And if you have nothing else to draw from, you're you know, you have nothing to say on stage, you know, and if you've done everything at school and you've had the boyfriend and he broke up with you, like you draw from that pain or, you know, like right. that's, that's how we do it as professionals. You use what you have in that moment stage to access some place of passion. You can't micromanage it. It's not like if I do this, 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 and this, I'm going to be a professional dancer. You know, it's like working, working hard every day, but also, putting your point shoes away and going and going to school and having friends and, you know, being normal and eating right. normal. That's also like the most important thing I would say is like, don't starve yourselves. Don't let, don't let yourself think that that's how it happens because it's not. And finally, do you have a favorite motivational quote that you've applied in your life? 
the one that I will never forget is the balancing quote of what are you saving it for? He said that to a dancer trying to get them to, to always do it to their fullest, you know, like, why Mm -hmm. are you marking? Like, why are you doing this halfway? Like always give it your everything. And that's kind of like the motto of our company is like, go for broke, you know? Right. Probably that's always in my head more than anything else is like, here you go here. It's happening now. Go for it. What are you waiting for? So speaking of your company, you've kind of gotten a lot of limelight lately with the uh, new TV show. The AOL, yeah. Or AOL. That turned out really well. Yeah. Maybe someday a real network will, will want to put it on the real TV. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think it's... what Didn't I read somewhere it's because you guys didn't want to have it a reality where you... Um... Yeah, we just we kind of wanted it to all be on our terms and everybody mm-hmm. wanted to have some editing rights that we weren't okay with. And the people that are doing it that Sarah Jessica Parker found, um, they're the people that do the Anthony Bourdain parts of the okay. I think. Mm-hmm. And they just wanted to... They thought our story was obviously interesting enough. And that's exactly kind of what we wanted to do. So... Um, that's why it's not on a big network because right. we didn't want to sell ourselves out like that. Right. But we hope that it will be. I mean, I do someday because it needs to reach a wider audience, you know? I think so. Yeah. And I think what I loved about it was, um, you know, coming from a pretty inexperienced background myself, it, I found it really fascinating to see the progression of the ranking and how that works right. and the apprenticeship and learning for the first time that, you know, you kind of have that one year right. and then you're out. <laughs> yeah. And, people, and that's awfully nerve wracking. It's stuff that I think some of the dancers watched and they thought it was kind of boring, but people don't know about that. And that, no, they don't. that's interesting to them. So, yeah. And I think that the audience are, are kind of twofold. It's the, the regular people out there that don't understand this world at all. And then there's the, the families that are involved that are learning. And then the aspiring dancers that exactly. just are, can't can't get enough of it. But I think it's also a nice reality check on, you know, your expectations need to be oh, yeah. a little bit more humble, perhaps. Yeah. I mean, you can only do it if you're enjoying it. And if, if that's not there, it's not worth it. <laughs> no, you're right. Well, Megan, thank you so, so much for your time. Yeah. All of your amazing stories. It's just <laughs> magical to kind of hear some of the journey you know yeah. it's just think, i think that your um interview will be very well received that's awesome but thank you and thank you for listening be sure to stop by our website and check out megan's amazing photos and if you like this interview please stop by itunes and leave a five-star review all you have to do is link into itunes pull up bouncing point podcast and leave a review and be sure to tune in tomorrow when i interview san francisco ballet's principal dancer teat helmets Thank you and have a great day.